Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. You know the amazing thing? We all know we can. At least we say we do. But the sad thing is we don't all believe he will. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. Not only, not only can he fix our messed up, broken lives. The amazing thing to me is even though we don't deserve it, he still will do it if we'll only trust him. Amen. I don't know about y'all. That might have been a good time to say amen. All right. But anyway, if you're here this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me. I think one of y'all might have to go back there to get the, um, oh, there it's working. We're still in Joshua, and we on the eve, one Sunday out from starting revival services. And I don't know about y'all, but if I ever needed revival any more than I feel like I need it now, I don't know of it. Amen? I don't know about y'all, but I wish the Lord would come in all his Shekinah glory and take us home. But until then, I want him to send the grace that only he can send through his spirit and revive me and us as a church. I want you to look with me here. We're going to be back in chapter 3 today. And last week, if you was here, we looked at God's amazing grace and how he took a, a lady named Rahab who was a prostitute and he saved her. He delivered her from the destruction that was going to come upon her people. She was a Canaanite in the city of Jericho and not only did he save her but he used her in his plan of redemption and gloriously brought her into the family of God you notice when Rahab goes on as we've seen the rest of the story she became part of the people of God she married a man named Solomon of the tribe of Judah and she entered in and became part of the lineage the relatives of not only the great grandmother of King David but to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the amazing grace of Jesus. But I want you to understand something, see something. You noticed she didn't wait till they got to the next great city with a good place of opportunity to open another house of prostitution. She changed. She repented. Why was that? Because when you encountered the goodness of our great God, and he takes you out of the muck and mire of where you were in this God-forbidden, sin-sick world. And he pulls you up and he cleans you out. You don't want to go back. You're not like an old dog going back to his vomit. You're not going to be like a hog returning to you in mire. You're going to want to go to the one who helped you. The one who saved you. The one who came to you when you couldn't help yourself. And said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I found a man who can. May I tell you today, his name is Jesus. I don't care what the world has beat you up and told you. I don't care what religious people have told you. I don't care what the devil has convinced you. God loves you and Jesus will help you today and save you and change you. And he ain't give up on the church. He's just waiting on the church to wake up and realize he is the only answer. But we got to take the medicine according to his directions and today I want us to look and see. They had come back from reporting about the city and they told Joshua, it's just like we said, man, it's ready. God's got it for us. And so Joshua in chapter 3, having heard back from the spies, but more than that, he heard from God. That God told him, in three days you will cross over into the land. In chapter 3, I want you to read with me, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses, and then we're going to pray. And then I want to look at something today that I think many of us has forgotten. 
is a requirement if you want to walk in victory, if you want to live the abundant life, if you want to live and go into the land of milk and honey, the promised land, claim your spiritual inheritance, you got to be a sanctified person. you got to sanctify yourself for the Lord Jesus. Look at what he says right here. It says in verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers, the leaders, went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Follow them. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. That's about 1,000 yards by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And in verse 5, this is where I want to preach from this morning. The Bible says, and Joshua said to the people, not the leaders, not the staff, not the pastor, everyone, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. How many of you desire for the Lord to do wonders in your heart, in your life? How many of you are hungry for the things that only God can do for your family? To make your family different than the rest of the families who are without God. To make what he's promised you a reality in your life. To walk in victory, to walk in the abundant life of Christ, to know the provision and the protection of what it's like to be in his presence in the promised land, in the milk and honey of what he pours out into your life. But friends, listen, this has got a very good question for us. How many of you know what it means to sanctify yourself? Because he says in three days we're going over, but sanctify yourselves. You know, today as we look, not many of us really take time to think about that, much less ask God to do it in our life. What does that mean, sanctify yourself? Well, sanctification means to be set apart. There's a, that comes from a Bible dictionary. To be set apart to a sacred purpose. And I don't know of a better purpose than to live your life for the glory of God in obedience to following Jesus Christ. To do that, you can't just be religious. You can't just go to church occasionally. You've got to be committed to that sacred purpose, to the religious use of your life. It, the Bible also calls it consecration. And it does involve to be free from sin, to be purified in the presence of God. You know, today, one thing I can promise you is that obedience to God's word and to his will Every time, 100% out of 100% will bring blessings. Will bring more of God into your life. But I'm here to tell you the same thing. Every time you disobey, every time you don't listen to God, every time you do not do what God's asked you to do and you walk away from God, disobedience 100% of the time, every time, takes away blessing and brings you away from what God wants you to do. Friends, I want you to think about this. This is kind of something God's put on me, how I look at sanctification. What is sanctification? To be set apart. To be set apart for God, for His purpose. 
He sanctified us when he saved us. He chose us out of the world and he declared us holy in Christ and righteous in the righteousness that Christ provided when he died on the cross. But friends, listen, he doesn't expect you to stay the way he found you. He declared you and chose you. And in Christ, we are sanctified. But we're also, by the Holy Spirit, now in the process of growing in sanctification. Thank God he didn't leave me drunk. Thank God he didn't leave me the way he found me. Amen, Diane? Praise God, though, he helped Diane out a little bit too. Amen? You see, God changes us. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. How can you be in Christ if you don't follow Christ? And how can Christ be in you if you don't hear his voice and listen to him? I want you to think about this. Sanctification, what does that mean? Well, it literally means that you become holy. You become Christ-like. But you see, God saved you by grace. That's all faith. You received everything he had to offer and he saved you and he took away your sins and he declared you not guilty and he forgave you in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And you are his now. You're adopted by him. He purchased you with his blood and you're his child. But you won't grow in holiness without your participation in what he's initiated if he saved you. You see, he wants to change you. So you have to make up your mind. Sanctification is also translated as consecrate. What that literally means is to dedicate. Friends, until you consecrate your life to God and dedicate it to Him. You know, we have a place called a sanctuary. How many of you have ever been in one? This is our sanctuary this morning. And friends, what we do a lot of times when we build a building, that's not the church, but that's where the church gathers to worship. The most important event, the greatest activity you'll ever be a part of on the face of the earth is worshiping our God. And so we need a special place. So what do we do? We build it for his glory. And then we dedicate it. We consecrate it. And we dedicate it for that purpose. And what do we call it? A sanctuary. But I hate to tell you, my friend, but the greatest sanctuary ain't what we build. It's what he built. We are the sanctuary. And we used to sing an old song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Remember that? Pure and holy, tried and true. Now, when I get to heaven, I'll sing that better. But it ain't what, how I sang it. It's what I sang you need to listen to. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary to you. That's not going to happen without commitment. And commitment takes determination. And friends, when you are determined to your commitment to Christ to the point you've dedicated your life to Him, I'm consecrated, you're on the road to sanctification. Does that make sense to you? And friends, listen, that's when you begin to experience the change of holiness, Christ's likeness being manifested in you. And friends, that's the difference that God wants people to see. He wants to do wondrous works in people who are dedicated to him, who are determined in their commitment to him, who are consecrated to his purpose to use me, oh God. Remember what Isaiah said? At first, Isaiah was in the temple, and he was like thought that he was in the midst of a people with unclean lips. But when he saw the holiness of God, he said real quick, 
He said, oh, woe is me, for I am undone, for I have unclean lips also. And friends, but after God fixed him, what did he say? He said, here I am, send me. And friends, listen, the people throughout the Bible that God uses are people who are sanctified, set apart by him, who have allowed his grace to work in their life. You say, well, how does that happen? That's what I want to look at. <clears throat> As we look this morning, if you was to go back to chapter 1, do you remember the first thing God told? Um, I forgot his name. Lord, help me, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Joshua, man, that was a bad senior moment. God likes to humble you, don't he? Got to be humble to be sanctified. But all kidding aside, First thing he told Joshua, he said, my servant Moses is dead. But you are going to take my people into the land. To the other side, he said, but be courageous and be strong. And then he told him this. He said, this book of the law shall be part, not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do, not believe, to do according that all is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will make for good success. A successful, proper, prosperous Christian life that's bearing fruit is a life that is serious about the Word of God. To the point that whatever it says, they don't just amen it and shout and hallelujah in agreement. They look at that and they examine their life with it. And they observe what it has to say so that they can obey it. Guys, today, if there's ever been a generation of God's people who are the church, who has a lot of information, but very little transformation, we may be it. It's not enough to have information of the Word of God. But does the Word of God have you to the point that it's transforming us? Because I want you to take your Bible with me this morning. We're going to come back here, so hold your place. And we don't think sanctification is very important. It's not a holy suggestion. It is a requirement if we want to see him do wondrous works among us. And see him use us like he did Joshua's generation. And you're going to see this week and next week how important it is. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How many of you ask God to help you walk in a way pleasing to him? You say, Lord, I want to live my life pleasing you. I want it to be honor you. I mean, it doesn't take someone to go to Sunday school for a year, to go to a bunch of Bible studies to figure out when God saves you. He wants you to live your life in a way that pleases him. But he wants to more than that bless you. Well, you know, Paul's writing right here in chapter 4 of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and look at what he says, finding within brethren. And he says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus. Man, so that tells you he's urging you, he's exhorting you. This is important stuff about Jesus, that you should abound more and more. You see, God saved us not just to leave us in our carnal, earthly, natural condition. 
He saved us to set us apart and sanctify us so that we can grow in holiness and Christ-likeness so the Spirit of God can work through us. And friends, listen, if you're not abounding, if you're not increasing, you're going backwards. You don't just sit. And listen what he says right there. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. I love what John says in 3 John. He says... He says that it always blesses him to know that his children walk in the truth. And friends, God is blessed. It, 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 he loves it when we walk in the truth. And friends, listen to what he says right here. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He didn't say, for you know what suggestions, what we recommended. He says, you know what commandments we gave you. And look at what he says. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now, if we never think about that, if we never ask God to help us to be sanctified, he told them, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous works in your midst. Could it be today that in the church and in our families and in our individual lives, the way that we're not seeing God do wondrous works supernaturally change us and put holiness and Christ-likeness into us and change our character is because we really don't give a hoot about sanctification. It's not really a subject that we are concerned about, much less we pursue. And guys, today, if the enemy of sanctification is what he says right there, and it quite surely is, do y'all believe we live in some days of serious immorality? Do you believe if you don't pursue sanctification, immorality is pursuing you? Everywhere you look, sexual immorality. Do you believe in your natural, carnal, without the Spirit of God condition that we're all weak to that? If we don't purposely try to avoid it and purposely pursue and make an effort for the provision of God... To be sanctified, we will become what we see going around us. And he says right here, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess, that's control his own vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and honor. That's what God says. Paul says right above that, he says, you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Finally, brethren, those of you who are saved, we urge and we exhort you in Jesus that you should abound more and more in this stuff so that you can walk in a way that pleases God. It doesn't please God when we participate and we look and we lust and we let sexual immorality have an avenue into our life. And I'm here to tell you that the church today has taken a very light approach to abstaining from that just one thing. Now let me look at here and show you something. He says that we should possess our own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, that's the lost who do not know God. And then look at what he says in verse 6, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this manner, because look at what it says God is about this. 
The Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. He didn't call us to be religious. He didn't call us just to be committed to go to church. He called us to be committed to him. To pursue him. He called us. And friends, listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Walk as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust in your ignorance. We used to be ignorant, but we're saved now. You're having a preacher teach you today. And look at what he says. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Not only at church. Not only when your wife's watching. Not only when the preacher's around. Remember what Paul told the church in Philippi? The church in Philippi, Paul told them something that goes right along with what we're talking about. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you. (laughs) That's what he's doing. God's working in us. That's what salvation is. And it says that he's working for his will and his good pleasure. So don't just act holy here. God's watching you when you wake up in the morning. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. But at the same time, God expects us to grow through our relation. Now I'm here to tell you, the only one that can make you this way is Jesus. The preacher can't. You can't. It's it's clinging to Jesus. He is our sanctification, Paul says. And friends, not only can he do it, he will do it if we want him to. But guys, today, the church is not very interested in this type of stuff. And you say, preacher, man, this is just certain people. Now, look at verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man. If you reject this, if you don't like this, I mean, I wish you would agree in agreement with me because I believe I'm in agreement with the Lord here. But if you don't, I'm not going to lose no sleep over it, brother. Because you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. Look at what he says right there. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also has given us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we have potential, my friend, to grow in sanctification. To be different, to be set apart, and to live lives that please the Lord and show others his glory. That's the kind of people God works in. Religious people. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees? They were as religious as you'll ever get. Much more religious than most of us. And Jesus said, you hypocrites, for you wash the outside of the cup. But the inside is nasty and dirty. He said, first wash the outside of the cup. I mean the inside of the cup. And then the inside will be clean also. Friends, it's not what we look like on the outside When God looks into a church, whether he's going to do wondrous works in the midst of that congregation and he's going to use it as a light and he's going to send his Holy Spirit and do supernatural things that we can't do that only can be a tribute to the glorious God of heaven, his Shekinah glory, my friend, does not show up with habitual, rebellious, sinful people. You can read it throughout the Bible over and over, even in the New Testament. He's looking for vessels of honor. Because they are easy to find vessels of dishonor. Now flip with me to one more place and we're going to get back to our text. This is the introduction. Then I'm going to close this out real quick. But first turn with me to 2 Timothy. I want to show you the same thing. And this is just two places. 
I, I, I Googled, or I have a word search program on my Bible study, and the word sanctification or sanctify is in the King James Bible 89 times. 89 times. But friends, listen to what he says right here. In verse 19 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The, the foundation of God's kingdom, the foundation stands upon this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You ever thought, what's the difference between iniquity and just sin? Iniquity is not just a sin that you, we, we, we sin from time to time. We can't help ourselves. And, but iniquity is when your sin has been repetitive and it's been habitual and it's been such a part of your life that it's brought guilt on you. That's why David said, forgive me of the guilt of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's what he said in Psalm 50 when he repented. And friends, he says that we are to what? Depart from iniquity. And look at what he says. But in a great house, there's no greater house than the body of Christ, the church house, God's house. Verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, Prepared for every good work. I don't know about y'all, but how many of y'all invite people over sometimes to eat? How many of you got dishes that you wear, that you use every day just for y'all? Now, I know some of you, y'all rednecks, y'all paper plates, be honest. Dixie cup. I ain't washing no dishes. Ain't nobody here. I worked all day. You eat on that paper plate. Ain't nothing wrong with that when it's common. But if you have company, if the preacher comes over... I ain't needed a paper plate. Yeah, most of y'all's house, y'all get some glassware out, amen. Diane's not only got reverie day plates, she's also got anytime we have a guest plate, but then we got over here special guest plates. Y'all know what I'm talking about? God ain't no different. The people he wants to use in here ain't just the old common Joe like everybody else. The people he wants to use that he wants to pour his supernatural power into and work his abundant grace through are those who have consecrated themselves, dedicated themselves, committed themselves, and are serious about being a vessel of honor. May I tell you the church is filled of us. We're a dime a dozen of vessels of uh, just plain old vessels. You look good enough for regular Sunday, but I'm tired of regular Sunday. I want the king to come. How about you? I want the precious Holy Spirit to show up and to come among us and breathe on us and touch us and move in our midst. Well, I'll tell you, my friend, that sin grieves him when we don't handle it correctly. That when we allow our lives to become to the point that we're much more worldly than we are godly. We're much more like the world and the Gentiles than we are the king and Jesus. Friends, I don't know about you. But God's been showing me more and more that there's nothing more important in my life. If I want to be a useful pastor to you. To bring spiritual blessings 
and healthiness to you than the purity of my heart. Don't matter how well I know the Bible. It don't matter how good I can get up here and entertain you with it and preach. If my heart's impure, God ain't using me. And he ain't going to use you. And he ain't going to use no church. See, look at what he says right here in this verse. And I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you because believe me, God done wounded me pretty good. I done beat down, but I'm here to praise Jesus. He's raising me back up again. Amen. He diagnosed me. He showed me what was wrong. He showed me the wounds of what sin had been doing to me and my lack of sanctification. And now he's raising me up again. Why? Because he wants me to be holy. He wants me to be Christ-like. He don't want me to just be churched. And he doesn't you either. But listen to what he says in that last verse we're going to look at right below that. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. May I tell you, a pure heart is a holy heart. A pure heart. You know what Jesus said? When he, his introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us the Beatitudes. That's the attitude that every one of us, if we're a disciple of Jesus, should be. And in the fifth verse of Matthew in that sermon, he says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Have you noticed when you got an impure heart? You don't see the wondrous works of God. God loves you. You see, that's what was wrong with that bunch that wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. God had delivered them from Egypt. He'd, 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 he'd saved them. He was trying to bring them into the abundant life, the land of milk and honey, their rightful spiritual inheritance as his chosen people. But they wouldn't believe him. And because they wouldn't believe him, they wouldn't obey him. And because they didn't obey him, they lost their spiritual inheritance. And they wandered around in the wilderness. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of wandering around in the wilderness with a bunch of people. I'm determined to get to the promised land. I'm determined to see God do wondrous works in my life. And I've just been praying, Lord, if there's anything been erected in me that's in the way, crush it. If there's anything that I have embraced that I've taken that shouldn't have taken, Lord, remove it. Because, Lord, I'd rather have you like I have had you in the past than the way I've been lately. And, Lord, apparently I've slipped, I've fallen. And the Lord said, you have gone a long ways further than you think. You see, the good thing about trouble and suffering is it makes you look. It gets your attention. And friends, today, if you're not flourishing, if you're not prosperous, if you're not experiencing success spiritually in your life, could it be that we don't observe to do all the things that are written in God's Word? And could it be because we don't spend time meditating in it day and night so that we can be prosperous and have good success. Friends, it's not enough to know what it says. 
I hate to tell you, you can be saved. God loves you. You can wander in the wilderness. He'll keep giving you manna. He'll provide for you. He'll, he'll even give you some water every now and then. But you're going to be thirsty. You're going to just get enough to get by. But if you want the abundant life of milk and honey, the, I mean, presence of God, you're going to have to obey God. Not just in little things or big things, but all things. And friends, you know, when we go back, I want to show you something. This is how God's been showing me. It's not what we know, but it's what we're doing with the Word. Go back where we were. When you look, he told him to sanctify the people. He says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So they sent the Word out. Now, guys, this is a wondrous thing that we take for granted. But think about this. That river was at flood stage. It was out the banks. There was current. It was humanly impossible to pass over. Even a couple people would have trouble. There were certain places, fords, where they could have crawled. The two spies, that's why they couldn't come back because they were only certain places where they could get across. And it took great effort. But for thousands upon thousands, 12 tribes of women, children, plus the warriors, all of their possessions to cross over, it was impossible. So how did God do it? Well, did he make a supernatural bridge? Did he give them the money to build a highway? No. He said he's going to take what is a symbol of his presence, his Shekinah glory, which was the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they had in the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence would be manifested from. And they let the high priest pick it up. And he said, they're going to take off. And when they step their foot off in there, y'all stay a thousand yards behind them. Don't get too close. But when y'all step off in there, he says, I'm going to part the water. And go read it. It's amazing. Just read it, paying attention, giving it detail. The water backed up. It tells you where it went. It went all over in other parts of the country. It backed up. You see, to get them across, he flooded some of them Canaanites. But he made dry land for them and they walked across. But when they walked across, go read it this week. Take time. He said, but while you're going across, pick one man from every tribe to pick up a rock, a big rock, a rock that he's got to put on his shoulder. I'm trying to get my chickens and my donkeys across. Lord, I ain't got time to carry no big rock. No, you get a big rock. And when you get to the other side, you give them all to Joshua. And Joshua, you take them and you build a monument for it. And when people look at that and say, what was this pile of rocks for? He said, that's for everyone may know that what the Lord God did for you when you crossed over on dry land. It's for my glory. It's for my recognition. It's to remind you how you got into the promised land. So when you ask, your kids ask you, what is this? You can tell them, the Lord our God did this for us. And then it says, after they'd done that, that they were crossed over, that the people in Jer Jericho were scared and trembling. It was the time to take it. But God said, no, don't take it yet. Go get you some flinty rock, a flinty knife, and I want you to circumcise every man who's not circumcised, and that's every man you got under 40 years old. Because everybody over 40 had died except for who? Caleb and Joshua. So every man of war, every man. Why? Because when they were in the wilderness, they quit keeping the covenant restrictions that God had told them. He told Abraham, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their God, when he made the covenant to give them the land to circumcise you. Why? It's a mark that you're different. Remember what David said to Goliath? Who is this unclean, uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the God of Israel? It was a mark of their holiness. It was a mark of their being set apart and being sanctified. And he said, you're not under your covenant agreement. And so they didn't say, look, we're going to be hurt. We're going to be wounded. We'll be vulnerable. God said, do it. And the amazing thing is, they all agreed. (laughs) They all obeyed. Now, I'm a preacher, and I'm trying to get people to keep nursery for um, revival and Supply meals to bless preachers that are blessing us. And I'd hate to have to ask some of you to do something like this. (laughs) But the amazing thing is they said, okay. Because we want to be in compliance with the Lord. Then after that, they recognized and kept the Passover. Why is that? Because it was commanded by the word of God. So before they went and took the land and entered into their inheritance to get their blessings they obeyed God and they honored him with the Passover and right after the Passover one of the greatest things happens and if you're not careful you'll miss it see he didn't only promise Joshua that I'm going to give you the land every bit of it where your foot has already tread that I promised to the Abraham Not only am I going to smote your enemies, but I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. I'm never going to leave you. The last thing he showed him after they obeyed these things, which might seem trivial to the casual eye, but knowing the importance of obedience and doing all that the Lord tells you to do. Not only did at the time they did that, Once they took the Passover, the manna ceased. And it says they never had manna again. You know why? Because God said these people have been sanctified. Now they're going to enter the land. They're not going to need what I had to give them in the wilderness anymore. They're not going to live off of manna. They're fixing to live off abundance. They're not going to have to just get by anymore. They're fixing to flourish. You know why? Because God was with them. Do you know who showed up at Joshua's tent the night before they went to Jericho? None other than Jesus. In what they call a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Here's Joshua. He's fixing to go in. I'm sure he's thinking now. It was pretty hard to convince him to just follow them priest into that flooded river and he'd get us across. But now he's telling me to follow the priest around the city every day. And do it seven times on the last day. And when they blow the trumpet, he's just going to give us the city. How is that going to happen? Well, I want you to see something here. If you look with me here in verse 19 of chapter 4. And we're about to clear this thing up and stop for this week and get ready for next. It says, now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And they cast in Gilgal at the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, they they put that there. They did all of that. 
And when you get to chapter 5, they did just what I told you. They, 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 they did everything they told them to do. They circumcised. They kept the Lord's Supper. But when you get to, and I want you to look at verse 13 of chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked and behold a man. We just sang about him. I know a man who can. Stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, nope. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, friends, I want you to understand something. Some people will try to tell you this was an angel. No, angels, real angels, they, they do not allow you to worship them. They wouldn't. And Joshua worshiped this appearance. Look at what it says. So he said to him, no, but as the commander of the Lord's army now, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped him. And he says, what does my Lord, capital L, say to his servant? And I want you to say that this wasn't an angel because he received this worship. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet. Because where you stand, the place where you stand is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Friends, the commander of the Lord's army is coming back. You can go read about him in the Revelations. He's coming back on a war horse this time. He rode in on a donkey last time humbly to embrace the cross for your sins. But if you don't embrace him now as king of kings and lord of lords, he's coming back and you will get to see who he is in all his glory, in all his power. When he rides back, and guess who's going to be riding back behind him? Every one of us who humble ourselves today, receive him by faith, will one day ride with him. But friends, listen, for now, could you think that would encourage old Joshua? You see, we will never win Bethany community to salvation without God's presence. You'll never, ever change your family without his presence. You'll never win the battle without him. Friends, I bet you when Joshua got out there... I bet about the third day when they was walking around there, I bet they had some of them old Canaanites like an old Alabama fan. Y'all know what an Alabama fan is? They can talk that trash. Hey, man, <laughs> man, I got so tired of hearing all that when I lived over there. It wasn't an LSU brother in sight. And all them darn Mississippi people are turncoats. They done turned. We ain't got nothing to, nothing to praise for in Mississippi, you know. I don't much blame them. But you know, that's what I would imagine as they were walking around there. And he told Joshua, you tell them, don't say nothing. Don't open their mouth. I'm going to speak for you. Not with my voice, but with my action. And so they walk around there. I imagine some of them said, did y'all come to fight or did y'all come to have a parade? <laughs> and them old priests are walking. I bet you some of them wanted to blow that horn. For six days, they did what God told them to do. They never opened their mouth. See, there's a time when you need to be quiet and let God speak. Because if you'll listen to Him and obey Him, even when it's hard, He'll speak for you. And friends, on that seventh day, they went around it seven times. I imagine by that day, they was getting laughed at. I imagine some of them said, this ain't nothing to worry about up there in that wall. But on that seventh time, that trumpet blowed. And then people of God shouted, and the walls came down, and God showed out. 
And that's what victory looks like. That's what prosperous and success looks like. But you got to obey God. You got to listen to his voice and do what it says. You see, this does not change. This ain't scripture, but I sure believe it's anointed. Trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I can tell you as your preacher in my personal experience, which doesn't trump scripture, every time I trust him to the point I obey him, I'm happy and blessed. I'm victorious. But every time I go against what I know to be right and I take the casual approach and I disobey, I suffer consequences that I don't like. But friends, the moment I come to my senses and I say, Lord, I don't, want, I don't like it in this hog pen. I'm sorry I've wasted my spiritual inheritance. I want you, the greatest part of our inheritance of all. And Lord, I don't care if you give me anything else or not. I want you. Guess what? I find him wrapping his arms around me. I find him picking me up. I find him wiping me off. I find him staking me and saying, now go, my boy, in the power of your God. The man, the commander of the Lord is not fearful of Democrats. He's not fearful of progressive political agendas. He ain't fearful even of sinful Baptist conservative Republicans. He ain't afraid of sin, but he's not going to condone it ever. But he will forgive us and save us. Friends, today I look at out there and I look at how dark it is and I look at how overwhelming it is. And if I keep looking at that and I keep focused on that, it overwhelms me. It makes me think how dark it is. But if I keep looking at Jesus, the light of the world, and I keep my face focused on him and I keep reading about him in the word and I keep believing what he says and I keep trusting him, guess what? Victory is mine. Victory is mine. That's what the Bible tells us. He'll lead us in triumph. Today, church, we got to make a choice. Are we going to just play church, be casual Christians, ain't in the Word, ain't spending time with God, ain't doing what we're supposed to do? We can get mad at one another. We can hold grudges with one another. We can be bitter. We can let anything in our heart that we want. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we must pursue peace with one another and holiness. For without that, no one will see God. Friends, today I'm here to tell you that I love you. And I know God's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. And friends, that purpose is great. But for he who has much given to him, much is required. And friends, listen, I'm going to show you next week what sin can do to God's blessings. Y'all all know the story of Achan. <laughs> he said, y'all can have Jericho. It's yours, but you get none of the spoil because it's dedicated to me. Put all of it in my treasury. One man didn't obey. And at the next place, not only did they not get victory, they got demoralizing defeat. And old Joshua said, oh, Lord, what in the world has happened? He said, get up off of your face. Israel has sinned and go sanctify the people. <laughs> See, guys, we can't have both we got to either choose God and set our lives apart for him 
And say, Lord, sanctify me. Make me a holy person. Use me. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're merciful. But don't let me take advantage of your mercy. Lord, don't let me just take granted and and take for granted your grace. Lord, your grace is precious. Let your grace change me. Let your grace make me into what you want me to be. It ain't about us. It's about him. And when it's about him, he will do wondrous things. In our midst. How many of you have got something in your family that you need? Consecrate yourself to him. Dedicate yourself to him. Commit yourself to him. Man, he'll change you. You know the greatest thing he does in our life is change us and make us like him. I know I got long-winded again, but I can't help it. But I'm going to give you an invitation right now. Vincent's going to come and he's going to play. And as he's playing softly, do you really want revival? Do you want to have a change that makes you different. Well, man, dedicate yourself to the Lord today. Say, Lord, here I am. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but when I look, he kept his word. He gave them the land. And friends, that is what God has for us. So much more than just surviving. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to be prosperous. But he says, you got to keep his word Do not depart from the left or from the right. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for healing. Today, if you are saved, I'm going to ask you, do you know your life is the way you would want it to be? And I'm going to tell you this. Are you right now rapture ready to see Jesus at this moment? The way you live this week and the way you've lived for the last month, is this the way you want to see Jesus? Rapture ready. And I want you to get judgment day honest this morning. Because we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we served him one day. Is your life the way Jesus would want it? Are you ready to meet him? And he'll forgive you. He's merciful. He's already saved you. But I don't know about y'all. I want to see him in these days before we leave do wondrous works. And he's been impressing on my heart. Just follow me. Give your whole heart to me. Seek me and you will find me. Ask and mean it and I'll give it. So today I'm going to ask you to do that. This is an altar. If you need to come, come. But maybe you're lost. Maybe you're not saved. Friends, Jesus died for you and he loves you. And it's as simple as saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've never been saved. I've never been to the place where I've trusted in the cross. Today, if you will say, Jesus, I've sinned. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried and you rose again. And today you live to help me. He will help you and he will save you. It's that simple. But friends, listen, he doesn't want us to live no different than the world, to just live casually of the earth in a carnal condition. He wants us to be in a place where he can pour out and use us And that's the importance of sanctification. So today I'm just going to ask you what Joshua asked the people God put in his care. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. Because tomorrow God wants to do wondrous works in your life and in your family and in this church. So sanctify yourself. Give him your life. Sell out. And watch what he does. Father, we're going to pray as we stand. Would you stand? Lord, I've shared what you put on my heart. I'm trusting you to work in our hearts, to change our lives. Lord, are we hungry for sanctification? Do we really want revival? 
Do we want to see you in our midst? Lord, I know in my life that I had things that I had to repent of. And I know in a place this big, Lord, we may have some things that shouldn't be there. There may be some things that ought to be there that are not. But Lord, today I'm just asking you to help us and show us, to lead us, Jesus, so that we might sanctify ourselves in you. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to expect you to move, Lord. And I'm believing by faith you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you want more of God? Give him more of you.